Trigger warning, the Resilience Project provides an open space for people to share their personal experiences. Some content in this podcast may include topics that you may find difficult. The listener's discretion is advised. Hello, friends. Welcome to Radical Resilience, a weekly show where I, Blair Kaplan Venables, have inspirational conversations with people who have survived life's most challenging times. We all have the ability to be resilient and bounce forward from a difficult experience. And these conversations prove just that. Get ready to dive into these life-changing moments while strengthening your resilience muscle and getting raw and real. Welcome back to another episode of Radical Resilience. It's me, Blair Kaplan Venables, and I'm here with a very special guest. I'm here with Julie McLean. Did I say that right? You she's said waving. It. We we don't use video, but she's waving. And oh, okay. She, and she, she's, she's great. She I just met her, and we're on opposite sides of the continent. She's down in Florida, and I'm up in British Columbia, Canada. So I love like technology. It's amazing. And so what I love about Julie is that um, she's a speaker and mental health advocate. And if you're here listening to our podcast, you've been part of our world, you'll know that that's, this is a very important thing for me and the community. And she's actually even given a TEDx talk before. So without telling you too much about who Julie is, I think we should just invite her on and have a conversation. Hello, Hello. Julie. Hi, Blair. How are you? Good. Thank you so much. Like, I, I think it's you know, we have a lot of interest in people being guests on the show. And I love that this happened so naturally and so fast. And when I saw you book in, I was like, oh, and I read your bio. I was like, this is perfect. Yep. <laughs> it's a, my message is well-timed and this podcast is well-timed. So I'm excited for both of us. Yeah. And, you know, reading like what your, what your um, story is about how you were resilient it actually, it really resonates with me. Um, and I'm just going to, I'll set the stage. So, and the podcast listeners are familiar, but Julie, you might not be. Um, I've gone through a lot of trauma recently, um, including my husband almost dying. We had a miscarriage. My father-in-law died. My mom died. My dad died all in just over a year. It's been intense. And I struggle with mental health and depression and anxiety or or what is most prevalent and present. And in June, I hit a low, a very scary low. I had some big stuff happening in my career, but mentally I was not okay. And I was not suicidal, but I thought, okay, like no big deal if I die. Like I didn't care. Like I didn't want to die, but I didn't care if I died. And that was really scary. My sister was worried. My friends were worried. And I made an appointment with a doctor and I got on new meds and eventually I started to feel like myself again, but it was really scary. And I just wanted to share that with you because I haven't gotten to the point of attempting suicide or wanting to, but you have, and I want to talk to you about that. Well, I can tell you that my first attempt was when I was only 16. I was in a household that wasn't healthy and I just felt like I didn't matter. I, no, I, I didn't care about me. It's kind of like the way you just felt that, you know, you didn't care if you'd lived or died. And I took a bottle to my wrist. And fortunately, I ended up having second thoughts. Just as I was ready to do it, I ended up having second thoughts and started thinking about my family and what it would do to them. 
So I was lucky. And then, you know, I struggled as a teenager. I struggled as a very young mom. I was only 19 when I had my child. And he was three when I almost succeeded in taking my own life. Um, a, a bottle of pills and a bottle of booze. Yeah, it was really close. And it was really scary because I realized at the last minute again, where am I leaving my child? I mean, he's only three. And thank goodness I didn't. He's 37 now. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you didn't either. Yeah. And then I guess I struggled up and down, you know, for a lot of years after that. I've gone through a lot of other trauma, just like you have. Um, you've had a miscarriage. I've had some you know, loss when it comes to children. Mm -hmm. And back in 2019 is when I hit my lowest of lows. And, you know, I was in a lot of physical pain. I was in a lot of emotional pain. Um, I, I, I do have to say that over these last 30, 40 years, I actually have thought about suicide almost every day. It's wow. a struggle. It's a big struggle for me. And I've been able to manage it and I've been able to, you know, keep a level head. But a series of events that happened in the beginning of 2019 from January to the end of April really set me off balance. And it all culminated with a really dear friend of mine passing away. And, and I was there it, and it was just, it was very traumatic because she was such a dear friend. And then to add the pain on top of that physical pain my husband came home one day and I was bawling my eyes out and he's like, what's the matter? And he's like, I'm leaving. I, I told him I'm leaving him. Well, we have a relationship that that's not a response for him because that's, you know, I would never leave him. And he knows that. And he sat down with me and he calmly said to me, are you okay? And I shook my head. No. And then he asked me, do you want to hurt yourself? And I shook my head, yes. And then the most important question he asked me was, did I have a plan? And I did. I had a plan. I was going to be very intentional that night. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I, I wanted it to look like an accident. I didn't want anybody else involved. And so I, I told him, yeah. And all this time I'm crying. I, I'm not physically speaking at all. I'm just crying to him because it's just so, the, the pain is so bad and the, the mentally, physically, emotionally, it's all bad. And so he wouldn't leave my side. He wouldn't let me leave the house. He wouldn't let me leave the, my side. Um, I slept cradled in his arms all night. And we just happened, to, we had been seeing a life coach together. You know, you, you were... I was married over 20 years. And when you hit 20 years, you kind of lose contact control. You, you just lose it sometimes. Yeah. So we went to somebody to make sure we didn't lose it. And we, we were going on 20 years, 25 years at that point. And so we went the next day to that life coach. And because she's a licensed clinical social worker as well, she turned around to me and she said, so do you want help? And all I could do was shake my head. And she said to me, I hate to do this to you, but I can't take 
you shaking your head as a response. I need you to physically say yes to me before I can help you. And it's something to do with the laws that they can't intercede unless I physically tell them yes. You know, and she even said to me, if I was having a heart attack, I would be calling 911. She wouldn't have been waiting, but, Mm -hmm. you know, she couldn't do anything for me unless I could physically say yes. And it took 45 minutes for me to finally say yes. I mean, and of course I was crying the whole time. Why, why, sorry, I'm interrupting you, but what, like what, what happened in that 45 minutes? Like what was like, were you physically just not able to get it out? Were you going through processes in your head? Walk us through that. I I was in such a state and you talk about the lowest of your lows. I was in such a state that I physically could not speak. Wow. I couldn't get the words out. I, all I could do was cry. I, I, And that's what I did. I just cried and cried and I physically couldn't get the words out and she's prompting me and she's prompting me. And, you know, my husband couldn't even tell her she needs help. (laughs) And so I finally said yes. After 45 minutes, it it was gut wrenching to Mm -hmm. say the least. And I was able to get into an intensive outpatient program. And then I'll preface that by saying, because of the trauma that I've had with children, I checked myself into a hospital years ago and I was there for five days. It was the most horrific experience of my life. I never wanted to do it again. So I was terrified that they were going to put me in an inpatient program. And my husband assured me that he wouldn't let that happen. So I had to sit there and I had to agree. I had to actually sign an agreement in the state that I was in that I wasn't gonna drive because my plan included driving. I wasn't going to be alone. My husband had to make sure that there was somebody with me at all times. I had to show up for my therapy appointments. And it was just so overwhelming. He had to take every ounce of medication in the house out. He had to give it to somebody and get it out of, he locked it in his trunk at one point. And, and I didn't have a key for the car, so I couldn't get into the trunk. So it was so trying and traumatizing just to get into a program because of the laws saying that my licensed clinical social worker couldn't help me unless I asked her to, basically. And that was by responding, yes. So I got into that program. And for the first three days, I would walk in there very tentatively. I would hang my head down and I had long bangs at the time. So you couldn't see my face. I would walk in, I would sit in a corner. I would not speak to anybody. I would not look at anybody. I I could tell you what every little grain on the floor looked like, but I could not tell you what the 30 other people in my group looked like. And for me, that was traumatizing because I've been brought up with, you don't talk about things like this. You know, that's something you keep inside. You, You should be strong enough to be able to get through something like this. But I was patient with the people that were there. And I was patient with myself because I knew I had to do this, if not for me, but for my family. And I listened to everybody from all different walks of life. 
talking about their mental health, whether it be addiction, bipolar, uh, an eating disorder, whatever it was, they were all freely talking about their disorders and their mental health. And that got me to thinking if they can talk about theirs, who am I to sit here quietly and just observe? And I finally opened up and I finally started talking. And when I started talking, I was shocked to find out that I felt better. Uh, Ta-da! Amazing. Wow. I could not believe that just talking about how I felt and relaying the message of where I was, was horrifying for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely horrifying. And so I sat there and I kept talking and I, and I did this intensive therapy for about a month. So a month of no driving, a month of never being alone. I've had some of my best friends now sit in my house while I'm catatonic on the couch because I couldn't, I couldn't get up. I couldn't do anything. And here I am now, I got, I finished all of that. And I'm like, wow, talking really does help. And the people around me supported me because I had to tell a few people out, you know, outside of my family, what was going on because I was expected to go to a conference oh, with 400 people who all knew me and all knew the happy-go-lucky Julie that did everything. And now here I am, you know, taking that mask off and really showing the true me. So I had a whole great group of people who, oh, somebody always had an eye on me. And they all knew that if I looked like I was having a hard time, they would just walk up to me, say, excuse me to the person I was with, take me by the hand and walk me out. So you went to the conference? I went to the conference. Wow. I really didn't have much of a choice because the conference... It was a, a, a district conference for an international organization. Mm -hmm. So I was a Toastmaster. Yeah. So my husband at the time was the district director. So he was the big honcho. And we just happened to have the international president elect joining us at that conference. Oh, it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. A really big deal. You know what? So I had to be on. Yeah, you had to be on. But also, you didn't have to be on because you had people there that knew what was going on that would yep. help you. Yep. Who you needed to be and where you needed to be. Yeah. And, and I, I relayed it out as I was like a bullseye. The very center of my circle were my close friends who knew everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I told them that, you know, I was getting this therapy. Some of them were even driving me back and forth because of conflicts with my husband's schedule. And then I have another ring of people outside of that who I said, you know, I, I'm just having a hard time. I have a medical issue going on and, you know, I was taking care of it. And then the outer ring of people that I have just knew that, you know, I was sick for a little bit and that's it. Mm -hmm. So I, I regulated who I told and how I told them and, and everything like that. And, and now here I am on podcasts and up on stages talking to people about ending the stigma of mental health and mental illness by talking about mm -hmm. it. it. It's amazing how we've grown up 
in all the different cultures, all the different religions, all the different ethnicities, we all have some kind of a bias or a stigma about mental health and mental illness. But I thought about it really carefully. And, you know, some people have mental illness. I have a mental illness. I don't have a problem with that. I maintain it with medication and I work through things. Um, I believe it or not, just before COVID, from January to March of 2020, I isolated myself to teach myself how to meditate. I taught myself a whole bunch of I am affirmations. I worked with some crystal healing. I did aromatherapy. I did everything I could to change my thought processes. And instead of thinking that I was worthless, thinking that I was enough. Wow. And the biggest part of that was changing that negative self-talk. Yeah. And, and I, had, I read a book that was called Negative Self-Talk and How to Change It. I have another book by the same. It's by Shad Helmsetter, H-E-L-M-S-T-E-T-T-E-R. And he talked about everybody is taught to be negative. We're not born to be negative. We're taught to be negative right from childhood. Because the first words we learn is not mommy and daddy. It's no. Wow. Wow. That's no. profound. No, Wait, don't put think, this in your mouth. <laughs> you think, sorry, I just like have a high level oh, no. question and it's That's just okay. your opinion because, you know, with our, I struggle with mental health. You like, I live with mental health yep. issues. You have your journey. Do you think if we were raised in a different society where our first words were mama, dada, and like positive stuff that maybe your journey with um, suicide would be different? For me, no. Because a lot of, I mean, I I firmly believe that when it comes to certain mental health challenges and diagnoses that there is a progression through a family. Mm -hmm. Um, I know my dad struggled when he was alive. There's other members of my family that struggle with their mental health. Yeah. Um, I've had a cousin who took his own life. I'm sorry. You know, he was 19. He was brilliant. He was talented. He had all the friends in the world. And that one moment in time, he didn't think his life was worth anything. And, And it's scary that that's all it takes is that split second of thinking that I'm not worth anything. Nobody will miss me when I'm gone. And it's scary because you and I have both been there. I've been there multiple times. You've been there. I mean, I, I hope I never, I never want to go back to that place. It was just, it was dark. And I can't even imagine going further than that to like how far you've almost been. Yep. And, you know, I think something that we should talk on is what start the convo is because you're turning your pain into purpose, which is pretty much Mm -hmm. why the global resilience project exists. Yep. I want to learn more about start the convo. So with all of this therapy that I was doing and realizing that talking was so important, I also realized that there is a huge stigma against mental health and mental illness. And that's where I finally realized that, hey, I know how to talk on stages. I don't have a problem right now getting my story out there. Why don't I get my story out there and 
help people discover how to talk about mental health and mental illness. And if we get that conversation going and break the stigma, automatically the suicide rates will drop Mm -hmm. because we're all going to be talking about it. Yeah. I I go and I think about, you know, back in the fifties, everything was hush hush when it talked about sexuality and, you know, different types of things. We don't, we didn't talk about sex back then. Look at us now. (laughs) (laughs) Look at us now. (laughs) We're not afraid anymore. And, and, it's just amazing. I don't want it to take 70 years or 70 more years for people to learn that there shouldn't be a stigma about mental health. Mm -hmm. We all bleed red. We all deal with our mental health. We might not be dealing with mental illness. Only some of us are privileged enough for that. (laughs) Me and you. (laughs) And plenty of others. But we all have to deal with our mental health. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's really come to a head with COVID and people realizing that, you know, they were sequestered. They, they couldn't get with other people. And, and it really affected people's mental health. So it's time to talk about it now. Yeah. It definitely is. So what does Start the Convo do? Like, what are your services or So Start the Convo right now is uh, going out and speaking to organizational leaders, um, going to their conferences and stuff like that, and teaching them that it, how important it is to be able to talk about this. I help people communicate and find out, I, I help them learn the steps that are necessary to be able to start talking about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do have a a little 10 step program that if somebody wants to email me at julie at starttheconvo.net and it's J-U-L-I-E, you'd be amazed at how many people can't spell Julie, (laughs) but it's julie at starttheconvo.net. If you email me and ask me for my 10 steps on how to start a conversation, about your mental health, I will be more than happy to send that to you. If you're looking for some kind of a, a coaching to be able to work with me and you know bounce ideas off me and try and set up that perfect person that you can talk with, I, I, I can do that. Oh. Um, but but yeah. Huh? Well, that's amazing. So like all of Julie's links are going to be in the show notes so you can find her, you have her email address, you have a direct line to Julie. And, you know, I think it's, this is such an important conversation. Um, You're new to my world, Julie, but I'm very public about my miscarriage, my grief, my mental health struggles um, with my social media following on this podcast, because I think it should be part of the conversation. We should normalize these, you know, these, these experiences. And I get a lot of messages from people who I know and don't know, thanking me, thanking me for bringing grief the grief conversation forward or putting the word, like putting feelings into words about the miscarriage, because we, there used to be, and there still is this level of shame around it all, but we need to get rid of that because how can we help each other? And the global resilience project is that safe space to share these stories, to listen to other people's stories or read other people's stories. And by you showing up and starting the convo 
and sharing your experience with mental health and suicide. It's so important. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate you for coming on to this show and sharing so openly. What advice do you have for someone who might be struggling with suicidal thoughts or going down that path? So people with suicidal thoughts, there's help out there. You are not alone. That's, that's the biggest thing. There are many organizations out there. Um, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, all you have to do now is text or dial 988 in the United States. It's that easy. 988. You remember 911? You can remember 988. And there'll be somebody there to talk to you. Different organizations like NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, they have different branches in all, all the states. All you know, Even here in Jacksonville, where I am, we have one right here in Jacksonville. So you can always go to them and they'll be able to get you some therapy, you know, appoint, not appointments, but they can point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a couple of things that always find your gratitude. That's a big thing for me too. always okay. find your gratitude. And if you're, cause I didn't have any gratitude when I went through this. And if you're having a hard time finding your gratitude, go to my website, which is startthevo.net. And I have Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok links. And right now I have a whole series on how to find gratitude. It's, I put it out every other day, different topics that to look back and be grateful for. And I'm thinking I'm going to start a self-love one right after this because I'm almost finished with this series. So feel free to follow me on on Facebook, TikTok, or YouTube, not YouTube, um, Instagram. Julie, what I love about this is, so I have something called um, the, my, our system and framework is the five secrets to strengthening your resilience muscle. And the first thing I always talk about is gratitude, because if you practice gratitude every day at the mm-hmm. same time, and you list three things you're grateful for from the past 24 hours, and you do that yep. for a minimum of 21 days, you start to change the neural pathways in your brain to see the world more positively. And I've been doing this for over six years. I have a gratitude alarm. that goes off every day at 9 p.m., you know, the day my mom died, the day before my mom died, we all did it together. Me, my mom and mm-hmm. sister, the day my dad died, we all stood around my aunts and uncles and sister doing gratitude. Like there's always something to be grateful for. So always. I love that you provide that resource. So you guys should follow Julie. Julie, thank you so much for coming my on pleasure. this podcast. You're such a treat. Start the convo. You can check out all of her links and her full bio. She's very impressive. Her full bio is in the show oh. notes. And I just want to Let everyone know that applications are now open for the second Global Resilience Project book, book number two. You can check out the show notes or go to theglobalresilienceproject.com. We're accepting stories to be published at the end of the year in our second book. We would love to have you. And also thank you for tuning in to another episode of Radical Resilience. Remember, it is okay to not be okay. You are not alone and you are resilient. Thank you. That's a wrap for another episode of Radical Resilience. Do you feel inspired by this episode? You can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and connect with us to join the conversation at IamResilient.info. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. And you, my friend, are resilient. Radical Resilience is a podcast created by The Resilience Project.